this particular case, uh, both of the methods have been deployed. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 14th of November. It's a brand new week of Money Talk here on Radio 3. The Hong Kong government on Friday slashed its GDP growth forecast for the full year, predicting the local economy to shrink by 3.2%. That's significantly worse than its previous estimate of between a contraction of half a percent and a half a percent expansion. The announcement came as the authorities confirmed that the economy shrank by 4.5% year-on-year for the third quarter. It means that Hong Kong is on track to be the world's worst-performing major economy in 2022. On Sunday, Financial Secretary Paul Chan said he's not optimistic about the outlook for Hong Kong's economy, citing a range of factors, including falling export volumes and rising interest rates. He said that the government will consider spending some of its 800 billion Hong Kong dollars of fiscal reserves on counter-cyclical measures if the economy continues to weaken. Beijing has eased coronavirus quarantine requirements for international travellers and close contacts of infected persons in the first relaxation of President Xi Jinping's zero-Covid strategy since the Communist Party Congress last month. Under the new rules... Quarantine times for close contacts and travellers from abroad were shortened from seven days to five days. A so-called circuit breaker mechanism on inbound flights will be abolished, bringing an end to a policy that saw the closures of flight routes if a certain proportion of passengers tested positive for the virus. And Beijing has announced important new initiatives to try and support the country's beleaguered property sector. The new orders include loosening down payment requirements for home buyers, extending developers' bank loans from six months to one year, and increasing the time of mortgage repayments. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and John Schofield, Managing Director at Tempest Investment. With a view from mainland China is Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. Money Talk on U.S. stocks continue to climb on Friday following their best day in two and a half years on Thursday. The S&P 500 added 0.9% to close at 3,993 following a 5.5% surge the previous day. That took its weekly advance to 5.9%, the best week since June. The Dow gained 32 points, closing at 33,748. For the week, it added 4.1%. Tech stocks led the advance, helping the Nasdaq Composite to add 1.9% to end at 11,323 for a weekly gain of 8.1%. The tech sector in the S&P 500 surged 10% over the last five trading days. That's its best weekly performance since April 2020. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index added 3.7% last week. London's FTSE 100 fell 0.2% over the five sessions. 
Hong Kong stocks surged after China said it would seek to minimise the impact of its tough zero COVID policy on the economy. The Hang Seng Index ended the day 1,245 points higher, or 7.7%, at 17,326, the biggest one-day gain in eight months. For the week, the index was up 7.2%. The Hang Seng China Enterprises Index jumped a whopping 8.3% on the week. The Tech Index surged 10.1%. The Shanghai Composite Index rose 1.7% over the week to 3,087. Nearly all commodities soared Friday after China made a significant change to the zero-COVID policy. Brent crude oil rose 2.5% but ended the week 2.6% lower at $95.99 a barrel. Dr. Copper surged over 6% on the week and gold jumped 5.4% to its highest in three months. It's at $1,764 an ounce this morning. The U.S. bond market was closed on Friday for Veterans Day, but the U.S. dollar extended its drop on Friday. The U.S. dollar index tumbled 1.5% to its lowest level since August the 18th. For the week, it was down almost 4%. That's the fourth straight week of losses and its worst performance since March 2020. The euro this morning trading at one dollar three and a quarter cents. The Japanese yen exploded over 5% higher over the week. It's at 139.37 this morning. Sterling also took advantage of the weak dollar, adding 4% over the five days to $1.18 and 9 Hong Kong dollars and 25 cents. Offshore Chinese yuan surged to a one-month high of 7.1 versus the dollar. And there was renewed selling of cryptocurrencies on Friday following the FTX bankruptcy. Bitcoin dropped 9% to a fresh two-year low of $16,300. Bitcoin and Ethereum were both down over 20% on the week. And taking a look at the Asia-Pacific stock markets as they start trading for a new week. In Australia, the SX200 up 0.2%. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is down about a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea up about a third of a percent. Looks like we're going to get further gains for Hong Kong stocks following the news out of Beijing. Hang Seng Index looks set to add about 350 points at the open this morning. Just gone 809, let's welcome our regular Monday morning commentator, Alex Wong, director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Morning, Alex. Good morning, Peter. And also with us, John Schofield, managing director at Tempest Investment. Morning to you, John. Yes, hello, morning, Peter. Uh, Let's start with the Hong Kong economy. The government slashed its GDP growth forecast for the full year, now predicts the local economy to shrink by 3.2%. That's significantly worse than the previous estimate, which was for between a contraction of half a percent and a half a percent expansion. The announcement came as the authorities confirmed that the economy shrank by four and a half percent year on year uh, for the third uh, for the third quarter. Uh, so, Alex, we've been down now, the Hong Kong economy down for three quarters in a row. We've had a yearly decline now uh, for three out of the past four years. Uh, what's behind this contraction, first of all? Well, of course, uh, actually, it's uh, uh, from the COVID policy, and we are we have been uh, uh, affected by that quite a lot because we basically do not have uh, much tourists coming to many tourists coming to Hong Kong, and also we have a significant uh, decline in the asset market. So, 
we probably continue to have a low turnovers in the property market that will affect quite a lot of uh, people in Hong Kong and then the stock market. Although we and then the stock market as well, we, although we do have a, a strong rebound last week, but uh, the overall sentiments and activities in the stock market actually also down a lot this quarter. Do you see reason to be optimistic uh, for the next quarter, given some of the relaxation we've seen um, in quarantine requirements and restrictions, or do you still think it's not enough to attract tourists to come to Hong Kong in significant numbers? In the Italy, it's still not enough, but the direction is is correct. So uh, we are heading towards the right directions. So hopefully um, we probably um, would have uh, some some revival in the stock market first, and then uh, probably we are heading in the directions that we probably may have more visitors coming late next year, probably in the middle or late, late, late in the part of the next year. John, what are your thoughts? Do we need more stimulus to try and get the economy out of this slump? Um, well, I th- I'm looking at all the initiatives that um, the new chief executive has launched and the Hong Kong government has launched. I, th- I think, you know, we're doing... Um, you know, as much as we reasonably can. Um, and as Alex has pointed out, the key is, you know, the, I've just come back from a, uh, a month away in, in Europe and, um, you, you know, you see lots of uh, activity on the uh, people circulating um, on the NTR, etc. So obviously, the, you know, the local... Whether anybody's making any money or not, of course, is, is, is another question. Do, do, have but you seen you've only got to look at the uh, board of... Um, you know the arrivals board are at Hong Kong Airport. You know mm-hmm. I think there are ten panels normally uh, full, and currently we still only have you know one to one and a half. Do, uh, you say so, you've been in Europe. Have you noticed mm-hmm. a significant difference in activity between what you've observed in Europe and what you see here mm-hmm. in Hong Kong? Is is there a marked difference? Um, well, Europe has its own uh, economic problems, which we do not share. But I mean. I mean, um, you know, everyone, all, all Europe's completely, completely open. Um, you can fly backwards and forwards. Mm. Um, it's only when you get on a border plane to Hong Kong that you, have, you, uh, you realize you're coming back into the, uh, the closed loop, which is the Hong Kong economy. So I think until we reach a tipping point, um, Alex again is right that, that, you know, the direction is right. But at some point, there has to be, there's, there's a tipping point where you just have to, have to open up completely and allow people to come in and out of Hong Kong uh, more or less freely. Are you worried, both of you, about our finances? Uh, Deloitte warned last week that the budget deficit this year could reach $170 billion, 70% higher than the government's last forecast. And now um, fiscal reserves are going to drop below $800 billion by the end of March. That's down, what, 16% over the last 12 months. And Paul Chan says he may need to spend more of them. Is, is our fiscal position becoming a problem? Oh. I don't well, think so. I, yeah, I think 800 billion is still quite a lot. So we can still sustain for another year, at least. Yes, I mean, don't forget Hong Kong, Hong Kong government. They, you know, there's no, there's no debt. You know, so unlike unlike other Western economies, uh, we don't have to wrestle with this debt to GDP ratio uh, problem. Okay. Now let's turn to um, China and the markets because three uh, significant things have happened over the last few days that seem to be giving markets a big boost both in the US and here in Hong Kong. And we've had a relaxation of uh, zero COVID uh, policies on the mainland, also announcements of support for property developers. 
and also better U.S. inflation numbers uh, than were expected. Let's start with the first one, these relaxation uh, of the, uh, the zero COVID uh, requirements, particularly uh, for inbound travellers, reducing uh, the the amount of uh, the amount of quarantine uh, that they have to expend, and also suspending these flight suspension rules. Markets were pretty euphoric here in Hong Kong on Friday um, about it. What do you think? Is this a game changer? Do you think uh, this is, is not a very big game changer? But at least it is showing the willingness of uh, of uh, change in uh, in the in China. So I think that's why the market reacted so positively. Uh, measures are not enough, but it is heading in the right direction. So um, hopefully we would see further relaxation later on. So, and the market actually has been pretty low before this news, so that's why we have uh, such a strong rise. But uh, the measures itself are not enough, I think. So do you think the market was getting overexcited last week about this? Uh, because together we've got the uh, uh, betterment of the US inflation picture and also the um, uh, support for the property market. So I think the market probably, you, I want to say it is overexcited. I think that the, uh, this is, a, this is a quite... Um, I think acceptable. This is a relative rise. Do you think, John, this is a sign that uh, President Xi Jinping is now turning his attention following the Congress to the economy, is concerned about the damage that's being done to the economy, and now that's going to be the focus? Is this the signal we should be taking from this? Well, let's hope so. I mean, as far as the COVID uh, relaxation, it's uh, measures are quite minor. Um, Whether it represents anything more than small tactical adjustment. I think it's more a tactical level. Mm. Um, I don't think there's any sign that we've got a strategic uh, change um, to, to, to move t- towards you know, greater opening up in, 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 the, in the reasonably near term. I don't think there's any, any, any sign of that. Um, the property uh, problem, uh, property debt problem, I should say, I mean, is, is massive, as we know. It's in the trillions of US dollars, probably. Um, known and and some unknown uh and it's going to take a very long time to to work through all that mm. um but you know those measures all, all all make a lot of sense so they're getting getting started on that but it will just be a long slog i believe well let's go through they announced 16 uh, measures they include loosening down payment requirements for home buyers uh, extending Developers' bank loans from six months to one year and increasing the time for, for mortgage repayments, among other things. I mean, Alex, how significant is this? I've, I've heard some people sort of say this almost sounds like a, a Lehman-style bailout for the real estate market. What, what, how do you see it? Well, I think it, it still need to restore the confidence of the home buyers. So uh, I would not say this is a Lehman-style. I think uh, it, it, it still need to see because... Um, for the home buyers, if they if they reckon the market is still in a decline or, or it will not rebound soon, they probably will delay their purchase. Mm. And and the and the and the size of the loan actually is quite huge, and we are not pumping a lot of liquidities in the system. Uh, so I, we, I think we need to see the the, the impact. So uh, I would not say this is uh, really that that kind of uh, uh, that kind of impact. John, what do you think? How big are these measures? First of all, can you give us a sense? Are, are these massive? important measures and are they going to be good enough to stabilize yeah. the property sector um 
I, I think probably not. As I, as I said earlier, it's a, it, it's a start, um, yeah. but it's going it, to. There's a long way to go. I mean, I would like to see more focus on on the uh, the balance sheets of the de developers um, and their cash flow and how they're going to, you know, and how much progress we're making on getting all these unfinished uh, but paid for um, properties uh, completed and in, in in buyers' hands. I don't. I, I don't think you'll get. Uh, confidence coming back um, from the buyer's perspective until they till they see that they're going to get they're going to get um, what they paid for much much more quickly. But they've also increased the credit support program for the property developers. Mm. Isn't the problem with this though? It's just more debt. It's not really dealing with the existing problem, is it? It just adds more debt uh, yeah. to what is already a large amount of debt. Uh, yes. Yes. And, and at the banks, I mean, mm. what about the banks? I mean, the proportion of bad loans related yes, to property, it, it surged to uh, 30% according to some estimates. Um, yes, that's, uh, that's not surprising. Um, yes, I'm um, not sure what, what I can add. It's, uh, clearly, going, there's a lot of uh, long way to go before, before liquidity and uh, solvency is, is returned to the sector. What do you think, Alex, about uh, providing funds to home buyers? That was one of the, the policies, which sort of and extending their, their mortgage period, because we've seen these protests, haven't we? These mortgage protests on the mainland with uh, property buyers refusing to pay their mortgages. Will this help? And will this help re uh, restore confidence to the sector? I think it would just do a little help. It uh, would not be too much because uh, for the home buyers, they, they need to get a sense of urgency. So I think. Uh, uh, they probably would reckon the market is still in uh, in a decline, or, or at least uh, it will not rise. So they could delay their 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 their, 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 their decision. So that's why I think the uh, the transactions volume actually would still be quite bad. And then uh, actually these facilities probably would help those are already paid for their their home. So I think uh, this is just uh, something uh, for relief of the of those um. Uh, victims already, so I don't think it would help a lot. Um, what do you make of the market's reaction to this? We've seen the China Enterprises Index now soar about 17% in the past two weeks. It's gone from being one of the worst markets in the world to one of the best uh, in the space of a fortnight. All on, first of all, hope of there was going to be this policy change. And now we're seeing a couple of small policy pivots, which the markets pre-open seem to like more. Um, do, do you think uh, this market rally can continue? Um, in my view, it's, it's, we're still in the in the category of a relief rally. I think, um, given the enormous—I mean, not not just here, but it, but uh, in the in the U.S. and elsewhere—given um, the enormity of the fundamental uh, problems, you, you see. Um, okay, you have a slight downtick in inflation, but is that really going to? Uh, change the direction of, of Fed policy. Uh, I very much doubt it. So I think I think it's just a case of a, an extremely oversold um, market in the short term, uh, with you know a, a febrile sentiment. A lot of um, a lot of people have been almost desperate to to call the bottom of the market, um, and will treat this as vindication. So I, I would I take a, a fairly cautious view. I mean, Alex, this is a very significant rebound, isn't it? Off the yep. off the bottom, we're talking about. If you weren't in, you've missed quite a big, uh, quite a big, uh, quite a big opportunity. But what do you think? Does it continue, or is this not sustainable? I think it will continue for a while. Uh, 
actually we are back to the um, end of last quarter level only. So we probably may still have some room given the changes in fund, uh, in, in fundamental news. But I, I doubt uh, the, the, the sustainability. I think uh, we got only um, some minor changes in the COVID policy and also um, the inflation actually uh, was down a little bit in the US. So uh, this is not a very huge relief. So uh, probably this is uh, just uh, a, uh, a bear market rally in Hong Kong, I think at least in Hong Kong. So probably we may still have some room in the short term, probably we may have still have another 1,000 points, but I don't think uh, it would go uh, too far from then. And finally, let me ask you both, what, what do you make of this uh, bankruptcy of FTX, the cryptocurrency platform? Is that going to have an impact on sentiment? Because it seems to be quite a major bankruptcy, the biggest one in the US of the year. Uh, lots of creditors around the world, customers around the world losing money. What does this have for confidence on the markets? Does it spread beyond the crypto world? I don't think so. I think uh, crypto itself probably is a $1 trillion market so it is not that, that huge or as compared to other assets probably with three data set or one one apple uh ink so i think uh, it will not spill over to others so uh, it will affect the sentiment of, of crypto investing but uh, it will not affect other assets john yes i think it's a existential moment for the crypto industry but um you know and maybe that's a good thing finally finally we're going to have to get have a lot more you know have uh, regulation, transparency. I mean, the fact that uh, the FTX group, I believe, consists of some, something like 130 separate uh, subsidiaries in, in mm. numerous different uh, jurisdictions, uh, you know, says a lot about <laughs> the state of the industry. Yeah. But, I mean, who knows? This could be, as I say, the existential moment where there's a, you know, the whole thing is uh, gets consolidated and rationalised and from the wreckage, you know, viable businesses uh, start to emerge and, yeah. and the value of crypto or otherwise uh, it can can really be demonstrated can't help but think that we've seen all this before in different asset classes yes you have yes exactly uh, yeah, I mean, it's very much like the, uh, how that, the the dot-com crash yeah. of, um, oh, okay uh, well, thank you both very much got to move on that's john schofield managing director at tempest investments alex wong director of alex ky wong asset management company <laughs> Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. 8.24, Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Coin Capital, is on the phone. Morning, Brock. Good morning. So I want to get your thoughts, first of all, on these two policy, uh, policy pivots that we've seen from the mainland over the last few days and get your sense of how important they are. Um, first of all, uh, Beijing relaxing some of the COVID rules. Is this a significant relaxation? Uh, not particularly, unfortunately. Look, I don't think that the restrictions themselves went very far, but there's also no indication that COVID is over. You know, mainland case numbers are at a seven-month high and increasing, and, and I don't think there's any real indication that Beijing ha will significantly retreat from zero COVID. You know, we, we just saw 13 million people in Guangzhou placed under a fairly strict home quarantine. So... I think, look, this comes on the heels of the party Congress, which makes it look uh, perhaps a tad cynical. Um, but I don't think much has changed on the COVID front. OK. And then what about these uh, new initiatives to try and support then uh, the property sector? The People's Bank of China and the China Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission um, has announced 
uh, a number of new measures, including uh, extending loans, uh, allowing mortgages uh, to be paid off over longer periods of time, extending bank loans to, uh, to developers. How significant is that? You know, maybe I'm just hard to impress this morning, but I don't think that the 16-point plan goes very far. It's, you know, it's mainly loan repayment extensions, easing home purchase uh, processes. You know, this is sort of a hope and pray strategy. It, at best, it kicks the can down the road. Um, what we need is a more robust response to the actual problems, um, which are sort of, uh, you know, a, a uh, an increasingly bankrupt real estate and banking sectors. Um, you know, China needs to map out its transition to what will realistically be a lower growth economy. There's a, a, an interest rate environment that we that we don't seem to have a handle on, and Sino-U.S. relations are, are not terribly good. Those are the real issues, not COVID, and, and not the kind of um, dancing around the edges that I see in the 16-point plan that was just announced. It's one of the problems with it. It it just seems to add more debt to the problem um, when there's already too much debt in the the property sector. Is that a concern? Yeah, it, it certainly is a concern, and that's why I say it's not really addressing the fundamental insolvency of of the real estate sector, Mm. which is basically – for, for, for the purposes of this discussion, is the entire economy. Um, it's just sort of uh, dancing on the edges and kicking the can a bit. So, but if you take these measures together, um, does it at least send a signal maybe that President Xi Jinping and the, and the uh, Politburo Standing Committee are now focusing on the economy? They see the economy as a problem. Uh, they see the urgency of trying to fix it as opposed to just focusing on zero COVID. Should we take that as a positive? Yes, but a very mild one. Okay, so they acknowledge that the economy is a serious issue that that requires them uh, that requires their immediate attention okay but that's sort of unavoidable Mm. Um, but in the meantime we've also seen that the party congress seemed to have really deprioritized market reforms Um, and and that's create that that speaks to some of the larger issues with china as an investment destination you know common prosperity is simply not attractive for ex-china investors Mm. But so what do you then make of the of the reaction of Chinese markets, particularly here um, in Hong Kong, this enormous uh, surge that we've seen in both the Hang Seng and the uh, and the China uh, enterprises uh, index? It's up about, what, 16 percent in just two weeks. I mean, that's a huge rally, isn't it? Yeah, look, there's there's been a significant pop and it happens, I think, in large measure, uh, as many as many such rallies do because of sort of short-sightedness and greed you know covid was always temporary and now investors are acting as if the ending of a temporary problem will somehow solve the larger systemic problems it won't and i would say that investors who go risk on due to this covid news and the 16-point plan will soon regret their rashness so do you think they're overreacting to, to this news and, and what we've seen uh, in the last couple of weeks, which does have some signs of a, being a short covering rally as well, doesn't it? Do you think it's a, a big overreaction? I, I would say it's an overreaction. I just think there's a lot of capital looking for an outlet and some, an outlet and some of it um, is a bit desperate. Mm. Well, the other thing that we've got 
that seems to be helping the market is signs that maybe inflation is peaking in the US as well, which of course is good news for, for Hong Kong, which is mired in uh, recession. Should we take some positives from that? Well, look, it's better than the reverse, but, you know, inflation ticked down a bit. It, we'd have to see something more significant before I think the Fed will adjust course. And, and thus, it may have been a bit of a respite for Hong Kong, but, but it's a bit early to call it good news. So it sounds like, Brock, you haven't really seen an awful lot uh, to impress you and, and change, your, change your mind on either the markets or the no, economy. I, I, I think we continue on as we have been recently uh, until the news improves. Okay, Brock, thank you for your thoughts. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Around Asia-Pacific stock markets, some modest gains in uh, Australia. The ASX 200 is up 0.1%. The Cosby in South Korea is also up about half a percent. The Nikkei 225, though, in Japan is slipping further into the red, down about 0.6%. But does look like we're going to get a continuation of uh, Friday's huge rally here in Hong Kong stocks. Futures pointing uh, to a gain of about 300 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. Thank you very much for listening. Please stay tuned. Back chat coming up after the news with Janice Wong and Mike Rouse. Uh, the weather forecast, mainly cloudy, sunny intervals, maximum temperature about 26 degrees. And then the outlook is for sunny periods tomorrow. Cloudier with one or two rain patches in the middle and latter parts of this week. Temperature right now out at the observatory is 23 degrees, 81% relative humidity. The Times at 8.31. Here's Ben Che with the half-hour news. The MTR's Chunwan line is operating as normal this morning after engineers worked through the night to fix problems on the track following yesterday's derailment at Yamate Station. Trains began running just before 6. The stretch between Jordan and Lai King was closed for most of yesterday. The government has ordered the corporation to investigate. The company's operations director, Tony Lee, said last night that workers would spare no effort in getting the line up and running. The engineer is now making every effort to resume the track and all the necessary facilities to get it resumed for service. And in the meantime, we will look into every possibility or whatsoever causes to find out what exactly causing this today event. The government is demanding an investigation from the Hong Kong Rugby Union after organizers of an international tournament in South Korea played what it described as a song closely associated with violent protests and the independence movement in 2019 in place of the national anthem. Vicky Wong reports. The song was played as the Hong Kong Sevens team prepared to play South Korea in last night's final of the second leg of the Asian Rugby Sevens series in Incheon. Organisers made a public apology and played the national anthem of the People's Republic of China at the presentation ceremony after the game. In a statement, the government said it strongly opposed and deplored the playing of the song. A government spokesman described the national anthem as a symbol of our country and said the organiser of the tournament had a duty to ensure that the national anthem received the respect it warranted. The spokesman said the administration wrote to the union last night demanding that it deal with this matter seriously, launch a full and in-depth investigation and submit a detailed report, as well as conveying the government's strong objection to the series organiser Asia Rugby. The government said Asia Rugby had apologised to the Hong Kong union for the mistake, which it said was a result of human error by a junior staff member of the local organiser. 
The government said the organiser had confirmed that the Hong Kong coach had submitted a recording of the correct anthem ahead of the game. The Hong Kong team brought the problem to the organiser's attention immediately. The administration said it had asked the union to ensure that there was no repeat of the incident when the third leg of the Asian Rugby 7 series takes place in Dubai at the end of the month. Hong Kong beat South Korea 19-12 in the final. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and our guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Janice. On today's program, we're talking about uh, the changing face of social media. Two of the biggest names in the business is in turmoil. Facebook's parent company, Meta, sacked 11,000 staff last week as its advertising revenues and share price continues to fall, while Twitter, under its new owner, Elon Musk, has sacked half its 